0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. An artist and a sociologist asked a question, could someone else build your Facebook page? They wondered about that, so they did an experiment on the college campus, and I read about this recently in the Chronicle of Higher Education. They took two classes of students, they got their permission, And then each student was assigned to spy on another student that they didn't know, had never met. Take uh, your camera, shoot video, shoot stills, uh, follow the pattern of their life, see as much as you can learn in the public domain about them, and then create a Facebook page under their name, a fake Facebook page. And then at the end of the semester after doing this, uh, the two classes got together and they shared with one another these fake Facebook pages. And the question is, do you recognize yourself in a Facebook page that somebody else who didn't didn't even know you could build for you? it was pretty scary because actually they could. It was a lot like the Facebook pages that they had created for themselves. Now, I I know a lot of us don't use Facebook or social media. I hardly use it myself. But all of us do carefully curate and broadcast an image of ourselves that we want other people to see. Don't we? Text, picture, likes, other relationships, events. All of these things and the ways that we talk about them, we tend to use to project an image an identity, the way we want to be seen, the way we want others to think of us. And so the question this morning is, if somebody else were to take all of those things that you project, collect them together, and represent them back to you, would you recognize yourself? Would you say, oh yeah, that's really me. I mean, that's the soulish deep down inside me that I've known all along. Or would you say, oh, I think that kind of misses me. Well, today, we're going to meet a woman in the pages of Scripture who comes to understand that she is so much more than the image of herself with which she and other people have been living. Jesus does that. He seems to be able to recognize the real woman deep down inside of her and bring it out. And that's a gift for her that brings her so much joy. We don't know the woman's name, which I think may be intentional, What we know is her story, the story she tells after this encounter with Jesus. It's really simple. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. That little quotation is her story. It's the way now she broadcasts her new identity to the world. She's, of course, the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well. And we're going to hear a little bit more about her story. But the question you might ask is, why today? And the answer to that is we're looking at this series called Multiply Greatly. We're trying to figure out how we can respond to Jesus in such a way that we fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And she does that. Last week, if you were with us, we saw that Andrew did that. And he did that. The key action there was find. Find the people that God has put in your life and love them. The key action today will be, in a word, share. Share. Share the story of God's grace in your own life with other people. Well, let's open up the Bible now and look at the story. John chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, no sweat. Grab the black book and the rack in front of you and turn to page 865. Uh, I'm going to read more of the text to you today. I hope you'll leave the Bible open. But together, let's just read two verses. Would you stand if you're able and read with me John chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. Actually, let's make it 30. We'll read to the end of that paragraph. So uh, John chapter 4, starting in verse 28, down to the end of the paragraph. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. I'd like to help you see how this woman's new story is shaped, strengthened, and then shared. Shared. So let's take this in three parts. First of all, We'll discover that Jesus shapes our story through grace. This is all about grace. Jesus shapes your story through grace. Let me back up and read that first third of the passage. Just then, Jesus' disciples came. He's been talking with her at the well about her thirst. And then they, the disciples, were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said... What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city, that is the Samaritans, left the city and were on their way to him. In other words, they're coming towards the well now. So she has a story, a new story, one that's been shaped by grace. And this is her story. He told me everything I ever did. Now, it seems to me as I read this, it's a little bit of a stretcher, wouldn't you say? I I, I didn't hear Jesus tell her everything that she's ever done. What does she mean by that? I think what she means by that is it feels like Jesus told her everything she has ever done. Why does it feel that way? because she's at that well under the noonday heat to avoid all the other women of the town because she's uncomfortable within her own social network because she's living with shame. That's her emotional condition at the well, shame. Jesus is aware of that. He surfaces that by saying to her, would you go get your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband he said, you're right, because you've had five men, and the guy you're living with right now is not your man. Now, he doesn't say that to accuse her. He, he says that to draw her out of the shadow of her shame and welcome her into the bright light of his grace. That's why he's there. When, when she says, I met a man who told me everything I've ever done, there's a smile on her face. This is the most joyful person in the whole Gospel of John at this point. She said, I can't believe it. he told me everything, everything I've done. Now the fact is, he just told her the one thing that had become central to her identity. That's the key. And it felt like, because he told her the one thing that she had been hiding from everybody else, he told her the one thing that defined who she was. And he loves her anyways. She was captive to her past. And guilt, if not dealt with well, will do the same for you everything i ever did think about what you've done what is guilt guilt is saying to yourself i've done bad and you know what we've all got that the problem is we don't know what to do with our guilt it turns quickly into shame you know what shame is shame is when we say i am bad shame is when what you've done becomes an identity and you start compensating for that shame deep down inside by hiding and by broadcasting stuff that you hope will impress other people to kind of keep the look over here it's a sleight of hand look over here i don't want you to see what i see in me i want you to see something better and it's exhausting and she's been doing that all of her life and all she can do now is just kind of avoid people but jesus accepts her he forgives her that's what God has come to do, Jesus, to offer you forgiveness. This is the good news of the gospel. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. You will not be held accountable for what you have done. You will be embraced not in terms of your past, you will be embraced in terms of God's love for you in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done. I don't think they ask you questions when you come to the quote-unquote pearly gates but i can promise you one question they're not going to ask you is well what did you do or not do that's not what happens and if we need to have that hope in heaven we need to live with that hope today we need it at the well just as she needs it at the well under the hot sun of the midday And this is the good news. Jesus, he's trying to reshape her story, her way of understanding herself, deep down inside the fiber of her soul by introducing her to his grace, embracing her in his grace. And now all of a sudden she can see herself, not in terms of what she does or doesn't do or promises to do, but in terms of who she really is, a a human being loved by God forgiven by God. He doesn't love your image. He doesn't love your projections. He loves the real you. And grace helps you get to the real you. Jesus shapes our story with grace. Now, let's continue on. We're going to see how grace starts to strengthen in our lives. Second section here continues at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. By the way, the meanwhile of verse 31 points us back to 30. John's just given us an image of Samaritans coming out of the city towards the well. Meanwhile, there's a conversation with the disciples. The disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvest. By the way, look around you. Literally, Jesus says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Start looking around. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. He's starting to call in rich a prophetic imagery from the old testament i sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor jesus is saying <clears throat> i want you to pay attention to what's in your hands right now what's in their hands bread they've gone into the city to get bread and they brought it to jesus and jesus says wheat this is not about wheat right now I want you to lift up your eyes this is about people just as the woman had been confused as to the meaning of the water now the disciples the men are confused as to the meaning of the bread this woman goes into the city to find people but Jesus's disciples go into the city to find bread (laughs) they go into the city to become consumers interesting thing about the modern era Facebook tells us uh, that not only do we all love to consume stories, but we're all broadcasters of stories. These guys go into the city with their own needs in mind, thinking of themselves and what they needed to consume. And Jesus said, would you lift, lift up your eyes? I am here. I don't want lunch out of that city. I want people out of that city. This is about community. So, if the first point here is that Jesus shapes our story with grace, the second is that Jesus strengthens our story of grace in community. It's about the people. Let me help you see this even more clearly. If you'll just bear with me for a moment, I want to give you some Old Testament background because the men are missing what perhaps a woman might be able to see better, and that is that this scene at the well is a betrothal scene. Have you ever noticed when you read the Old Testament there are certain scenes that repeat themselves with different characters? Have you ever noticed that a husband meeting a woman at a uh, meeting his wife at a well is one of those scenes? It is. It keeps coming up in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends a servant to a foreign country and a well, and there that servant finds a wife for Abraham's son. First child of the new covenant community, Isaac gets a wife at a well named Rebekah. Fast forward, Genesis twenty-nine. Next generation, Jacob meets a well a wife um, at a well named Rachel. Fast forward again, in the Exodus. Moses meets a wife at a well named Zipporah. So what's happening here? This rhythm is a form, it's a way that the biblical storytellers tend to tell the story. Here, Robert Alter is a professor, great professor of Hebrew studies at Berkeley. And he says that what God seems to be doing is inspiring narrators who at certain, quote, critical junctures in the development of God's covenant community meet a spouse at a well. And the form of these encounters, in the way that the biblical writers tell it, has five elements to it, and I won't give you a detail, but just so you recognize them. The first one is they're in a foreign land. The second one is that there's a virgin or a marriageable girl at a well. The third is the drawing of water. The fourth is a rush home to the family. And the fifth is an invitation of this man to come and marry uh, the daughter. Those five elements, by the way, they're all present right here in this encounter that Jesus has, all five of them. And Alter says what you want to watch for is, is what changes What's different about each particular incident in this form? This is, John seems to be telling us, a critical juncture in the story of God's covenant community right here in this moment. And if that's the case, what's different about this story? Well, we don't exactly have a virgin at the well, we don't exactly have a woman who is inexperienced, quote unquote. Neither do we have a woman who is Jewish. This woman is marveling. I can't believe you're talking to me. First of all, I'm female. Second of all, I'm a Samaritan. Third of all, the story about me in the city is I'm an immoral. And so what is John saying? He's presenting Jesus as the bridegroom of heaven who has found for himself a wife at a well who's a sinner. God himself has come to betroth himself in Jesus Christ to sinners. This is a new kind of community all the way. Altogether, by the way, if you don't trust me on that, go back and look and see what Jesus does in chapter 2, where he turns water into wine at a wedding. It's all about a huge, critical juncture in the development of God's people. Jesus is saying, I want people, even Samaritans. If we put it in in, um, today's parlance, I think we might hear Jesus saying to his disciples, Je suis Samaritan. I am a Samaritan. I've come, the Father's will is for me to come and rescue people just like this and draw into this new community of people of every nation, people of every moral character, but of people who experience my grace and put me at the center of their lives. So, what I want to suggest is that our experience of grace resonates when we connect in this new covenant community that the scriptures call the Church. It's in an experience of a faith community that we actually grow in our understanding of what grace is and we become more and more convinced. You help me become more and more convinced that grace is for me too. And it happens in community. That's why it's so important that you get in a small group this Lent. For you and for the other people in that circle, you're going to help each other believe that grace is really real. Grace is going to strengthen in your life. And I tell you, Um, This is where I'm becoming a disciple in my small group. I've been a part of a small group here at UPC for five years. And we're getting increasingly safer as a community, a place to be transparent. I don't have to bring the great George to the small group. I don't have to try to impress people with the images that I think they expect of me or that I want them to hold of me. I'm able to take off the veil and say, this is who I really am. And I experience them loving me just the same. And man, that's good. Jesus strengthens our story of grace. He gets us past the images in community. Lift up your eyes. By the way, as Jesus is saying this, the disciples are looking behind Jesus. They're listening to him. They're trying to pay attention to him. But what they see is dozens or more Samaritans coming out of this city. This is the new community coming towards them. This woman is the matriarch. The Samaritan woman is the matriarch and model of the church. Three, Jesus multiplies our story as we share it in the city. Let's read this third section. Verse 39. Here they come. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. Now they're quoting her. Do you notice that? So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Notice the multiplication. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Are you following this? Jesus shapes our story with grace, and then he strengthens our story of grace in a a community, and then finally, he multiplies our story as we share it in the city. Here we see the cultural impact of the gospel on, on an urban center. This is a beautiful passage. The conversation inside this city shifts. You notice that the old story in that city, and we have to sort of imagine this, the old story in that city is, is something like this. She sleeps with other guys. Oh, the guy she's living with right now, she's not married to. That, that's, the, that's the culture. That's the conversation in the city prior to this. It, it, it's, it's rejection. It's gossip. It's pious, hushed tones that hold each other accountable to the images that we have of our lives. It's oppressive. But now, at the end of the story, notice the last line. They're saying, in the city, this is truly the savior of the world. See, the conversation shifts. The culture of the city is beginning to shift. And if we ask, what's causing that? The answer is really simple. It's the woman's story, which has been repeated now a couple times here in the text. He tells me everything that I have ever done. In other words, he forgives me. It's her simple story of having been forgiven by this man, Jesus, who is the face of God for these people and for us, that allows her to participate in the multiplication of the gospel in that city. I want you just to, and John makes this clear when he says, uh, in verse 39, we believe in him because of the woman's testimony. That's her story. Now, just think about how hard it was for her to share that story. I love this about the woman. Her social courage. She goes back to the same city that rejected her. Really? I want to say, sister, take the grace and run. You need to find a new city. That old city has not been good to you. (laughs) By the way, let me just say this. Because I think sometimes we think about this woman as though she's been promiscuous. She's been sexually promiscuous. And there's an aspect of that that may be true. I think it's more likely, however, that she's been a victim. It's very likely that her first husband died. And in a patriarchal society where you don't have property rights without a husband, she became destitute and was literally trafficked from one guy to the next guy who took advantage of her, who victimized her. The guy that she's now living with tries to get everything he wants to get from her without giving her the rights that come with marriage. See, this has been an oppressive city for her. But she goes back. And she does it without any urging from Jesus, just a smile on her face. She can't wait to go back to that place to give them the new reality that she's received. And she goes, what's she she say? She tells her story. She says, I met a man. You hear the irony of that? They're all going, so what else is new? She says, "So what what is it, six or seven? We've lost track. She says, I met a man. And then she says, no, 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 it's not that. He told me everything I ever knew. And then they go, so what else is new? We all everything I ever did, right? We all know what you've done. We've been talking about that forever. She says, no, no, no. He forgives me. That's her story. Now, interesting thing about this word testimony, it's courtroom language. John will develop this theme when he presents to us John 15. Jesus there in the upper room says this. When the advocate comes, by the way, that's a courtroom term as well, the advocate. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify. There it is again. He'll tell the story in court on my behalf. What he's saying is, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit's really the advocate. He's really the lawyer. He's really the one that's going to close the case. See, the Holy Spirit does that. Um, And he will testify. He will tell my story. But, verse 27 continues, you are also to testify because you've been with me. The point is that when you and I tell our story, the Holy Spirit tells the story of Jesus through us. And closes a case on our behalf, really on his behalf. So all you have to do is stick to the really simple truth of your experience of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit multiplies that in other people's lives. And it reverberates now through the city and the the story, the conversation in that city has changed. He's truly the Savior of the world. So you have a story to share. Let's let Jesus shape our stories in grace. Let's let Jesus strengthen our stories in community and multiply them as we share them in the city. Let me close really quickly with two stories. Modern stories that might help you visualize this. Both come from New York City. One is fictional. Jay Gatsby. I just love the fact that the great Gatsby has been put into a movie for our era. Because it's all about broadcasting image. Right? That's who Jay Gatsby is. Why? Jay Gatsby's trying to go back into the past. Like this woman, he's preoccupied with what he had done or not done back in the past. And he tries to get there by projecting this false identity. He, he wants to be seen as successful, as wealthy, as popular. And he couldn't care about less about any of that stuff, really. All he wants is love. He wants to find himself in an authentic relationship with a woman named Daisy. But because he doesn't know how to address his past, he has a sorry future. He'll die all alone, exposed, and without love. And the end of the book goes this way. I hope I'm not spoiling this for you. Uh, uh, we're all, last sentence, we're all boats against the current, born ceaselessly into the past. Jesus says to you, you are forgiven. Your past is not your past if it's still impacting your present. He says, I want you to let it go. I love you. You're forgiven. Now, a positive example, Rafael Ramos. Rafael Ramos is one of the two police officers that was shot brutally in their police car about a month ago in Brooklyn. What you need to know about Rafael Ramos is he understands the grace of Jesus. That was at the center of who he was. In fact, the very next day, he would have been certified as a chaplain in New York City had he lived. The next day. He was a guy who... Served wherever he went. It was all ministry to him. It was all uh, different forms of telling the story of God's grace and Jesus Christ. He, he was an usher at his church. He served in the marriage ministry at his church. Even his work, maybe especially his work, he saw as ministry. CNN. This is this is CNN headline. NYPD officer Rafael Ramos saw the streets as his ministry. Just telling the story of Jesus wherever he goes. And I think sometimes Facebook gets it right. In fact, if you go to Rafael Ramos' Facebook page right now, it's still live. And you can read the banner photograph. It's just a quote behind his, photo, his, his picture. And it says this, If your way isn't working, try God's way. That's the story he's trying to tell. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Forgive us for the ways in which we try to understand ourselves without your grace. Convince us that there is no life in that for us, we pray. We want to open our minds and our hearts to the full depth and riches of your love and your grace that says, I love you no matter what you do, and I couldn't love you any more, and I couldn't love you any less. We pray that we would be a community deeply impregnated by that good news and that we would go out in the city of Seattle sharing our simple stories in a way that changes the conversation in our own time, in our own place. And we pray that you'll get the credit. All the glory will go to you. pray it in Christ's name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.